I didn't ask my brother where I, whether I could use this story, my brother whether I could use this story or not, but. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to really think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time-poor but enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Amy Bills. Hello. Tom Brassington. Hello. And Lisa Metcalf. Hello. And today we're going to focus on performance in the curriculum. But first, Amy, What's you reading for? Hey, what you reading for? This week I've gone back to um, Inclusion, a principal guide for school leaders, which is by Nicola Crossley and Des Hewitt. Um, and it's one of our core texts in our Trust Book Club. Um, and we've got Nicola joining us next week. She's been so generous with her time. She was the Director of Inclusion at Australia Multi Academy Trust, um, and she's doing some really generous, incredible work in advising me this year in terms of an inclusion strategy trust-wide, because that's new for me. Um, so, yeah, bit, a bit of a plug for it, but fantastic book. And what she does brilliantly is infographics that go with the chapters in the book. So it looks at quality-first teaching approaches for um, SNZ pupils, how to, how to frame curriculum leadership, inclusively how to frame whole school leadership inclusively um yeah really recommend that great book um how about you Tom what are you reading for so I'm at that stage in the year where we're looking at timetables for the next academic year and we're trying to think about how to get that right for our school and think about that um curriculum offer and I was looking for some help with that and some reading around it and I stumbled across a thesis from um, a guy um, from Sweden um, called School Timetabling in Theory and Practice and it's a really interesting um, paper which they basically he basically uses algorithms to create timetables and obviously that wasn't something I was going to do but um, one of the things that was really helpful was he pointed out in the paper we have to consider when we're thinking about timetables, those requirements, so those hard constraints and soft constraints. And he defines those as the requirements and the preferences. And so for us as a staff, that's been really helpful to kind of say, well, here are our, const our hard constraints. Um, things like we have to have a lunch time. We have to make sure that this is covered and this is covered. Um, and we have to give over this amount of time to certain things. And then also he spoke about those preferences. So what do we, if we've got wiggle room, how do we want to use it? And he goes through two particular algorithm models that were really, really helpful. Um, so um, a genetic algorithm model to begin with that was sort of built on the survival of the fittest. And it, and it just, the idea that we continue to develop those timetables until they're right, solving the problems as we go and tweaking. And then the other model was called Taboo Search. Um, it's quite a common used algorithm, apparently. I've never heard of it. But um, you basically form a taboo list of things that you've tried before that are now forbidden. Um, so, for example, um, you've tried having maths in the afternoon before and it just doesn't work for your school. So that goes on your taboo list and the algorithm bears those things in mind. Um, so it was just a really interesting lens to look at timetabling through. And it gave particularly that idea of requirements and preferences 
has been really helpful for us as a, as a staff team. What about you, Kieran? What are you reading for? When you opened with, I was reading a Swedish doctoral thesis, I thought the word interesting was doing a lot of heavy lifting there, Tom, and I was going to have to really edit this <laughs> quite well, but actually, I'm going to try and find that. Can you send that to me as soon as you finish this? Because it does sound really interesting. I have been reading something slightly shorter, and it's an article by Lloyd Williams Jones. It's called Why Taking It Slow Will Raise Results. And it is a superb article. I think it's Head Teacher Magazine, they call it. And obviously, I'm a big fan of Lloyd's work. But this is him putting down maybe 18 months, 24 months worth of thinking into a constrained word limit. And it's, you know, page to page gold. So, yeah, definitely check it out. So the focus of this episode will be performance in the curriculum. And Lisa, I was wondering if you could answer my first question. When I say performance in the curriculum, what do I mean by performance? Um, so performance, I think performance means to me sort of, I go straight to sort of the performing arts. So saying performance in the in the curriculum means to me it means sort of music it means drama it means dance it means what you know your children being able to showcase those kind of talents that kind of thing um and it's just it's it's looking at the importance of that um it uh, uh, sort of across the curriculum and where that where that fits in both in its own right and also the other elements that that feed into that um, in terms of all sorts of areas in terms of children's self-esteem in terms of enjoyment in terms of a broad and balanced curriculum in terms of enrichment in terms of you know how that can go into help with attainment how it can help with vocabulary development there's all those kind of things so that's because that's my passion that's my area of passion outside of um school life if you like um I just think that that's that's something I've always advocated for um and and that's the kind of thing that I think that's possibly why I've been asked on to sort of talk about because I think it's a really really important part of like I say that you know the curriculum and and where you can get real um you can see impact of it, little type, even down to like the tiniest little parts of achievement of a, an individual child. You can see the impact of of having those areas in your curriculum and not letting them be sidelined for what perhaps other people might say are more important. And um, because I think it's about everything feeding in, isn't it? You know that you can't lose those things. Um, because they have a, a knock-on effect, they have an impact, and I think so. That's what it means to me. Um, I don't know if that's answered your question, but yeah, that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah, I think I totally agree with Lisa that those um, those performing arts opportunities in school, particularly in primary, we have um, the opportunity to relish those, and they're really important. But um, the only thing I'd add to what Lisa has said is that I think there's maybe two sort of additional ways that it can crop up in the curriculum. Um, one of those is in the form of sort of empathetic thinking. So um, thinking about um, 
stepping into the shoes of other people and understanding their perspective um, is a really powerful tool. Performance can be if it's used well, and maybe we'll talk later about how to use it well. But if it can be used well in those ways, it's really powerful in terms of um, somebody, under, a, a student understanding a different um, setting or a different environment. And then the other way is sort of from a teacher lens, um, the idea of teacher in role um, is something that we see quite regularly in, in primary school. And actually quite often that, that can range across the whole um, of, of the key stages. And particularly in early years, you see a lot of teacher, um, teacher in role pretending to be a novice um, and pretending to not understand. And what's incredible about when you see that in action in early years is that the children get that straight away. They understand what they're doing. They're, they understand they're part of a performance here. They understand that the teacher is um, is putting on this this kind of lack of knowledge. They know that they know the answers, but they're helping them, and that's a really it's actually just a really fun thing to observe, and and I think a fun thing for the children to be a part of as well. Yeah, that's that's what I'd say about performance in the curriculum, in addition to what Lisa's already said. I mean, that's really clear because I think you know, as someone who is a natural introvert. Um, you know, I enjoy the theatre, I enjoy the performing arts, but it's certainly not something I enjoy taking part in. I'll be very interested to see where this conversation goes, because I do think that with a lot of our conversations around curriculum, for instance, like you said, Lisa, there, there's a finite amount of time we have, and it's perhaps worth considering the purpose of primary and it sounds like this is going to explore the purpose and i don't know if you'd agree amy from a slightly different angle to the one that we'd normally take on this podcast yeah absolutely i mean I, i'd echo what what lisa and tom have said and i think you automatically jump to the arts to performing arts and i think we actually need to be really intentional about this now more than ever i think when you look at what the pandemic the impact the pandemic has had on the arts on theatres, on dance companies, on musicians, on, you know, at, at people across the sector. I think we've got a real responsibility, actually, to make sure that we give our children access to the arts. Um, and I, I think we have to look at it as an entitlement. And I think this, you know, we talk so much, don't we, about a broad and rich curriculum. And we talk about a knowledge-rich curriculum. But we mustn't, mustn't overlook the importance of developing our children's skills and it might not be for everybody it really might not be for everybody but every single child in our school and our classroom and our sector has an entitlement to find that out for themselves whether it is or isn't for them and I think that's really really important I also think and I'm sure we'll talk in a bit more detail about this in a minute but but I think the timetable is so uh there is such a demand on time that it is hard to safeguard time sometimes for some of the subjects that would contribute to the arts and that would naturally develop children as performers. But actually, again, I think we've got to be deliberate about it because this cannot be the domain of the advantaged. It really cannot because we've got schools and academies full of children who may, I'm sure everyone is doing a brilliant job of, of trying to not be like this, but who may be disadvantaged in many ways and need to be focusing on more core subjects 
and actually not be discovering that they are an exceptional musician or that they are most at home when they're on stage. So I think, I, and, and listen, we, we've spoken enough times for, for people to know I am absolutely passionate about a knowledge-rich curriculum, about children being able to access the wider world and for the enable them to, to, to do that. They need that knowledge, of course they do. But I also am equally passionate about particularly our most disadvantaged pupils having the, the breadth of opportunities that all of our other pupils would have, um, that perhaps they would get outside of school. And we therefore need to think really carefully about what we can um, what we can provide. Um, the EEF did some interesting um, work about arts participation and they found that it had sort of a low impact on the academic learning. But I think it's important to make that distinction early on in that conversation that there are huge advantages to um, being involved in performance and getting involved. For example, you think about your music in your early years, that's going to support your social development, it's going to support your language understanding as well. And there is evidence that it does increase a sort of pro-social behaviours to our communities as well. So there are, there are multiple benefits. And maybe it's another worthwhile distinction as well when we think about performance in the curriculum to to say that there are your explicit opportunities to perform perhaps publicly or within the school setting so maybe you know your nativities your end of year productions that um again is an entitlement for children to be a part of those um those opportunities but i also think performance has its place within a knowledge rich curriculum and there's opportunities to make meaningful links when they're planned carefully, um, to make meaningful links um, within the curriculum that, that are sort of more implicit amongst, amongst the learning rather than um, those opportunities for them to shine on a stage or to go to a concert and perform. Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. So I should almost stop thinking about this in binary terms. It's a case of all pupils deserve this. And it's a, a level of cultural literacy, if nothing else, and experience that everyone should have. And I'm thinking back to the episode we did on independent schools and how much time they dedicated to this sort of thing. And actually it's almost about reclaiming that for all schools and all children, because actually it's those pupils who don't get this outside of school that need school to be a place for that. I mean, I'm almost branching into answering the next question. I don't want to answer my own questions. Lisa, what role do you think performance has to play in the curriculum? So I think so just jumping on what you were saying and, and actually linking it to timetabling, because one of the things we're actually talking about is actually fitting it in. But I think as primary teachers, I think one of the most areas that we're skilled in is thinking outside the box and making links all of the time. You know, we, we're constantly thinking, okay, um, I can link that to that subject. I can link that to that. I, ca I can get a bit of maths in here in the middle of my history lesson. I can get a bit of, so, you know, I can get a bit of music in my geography lesson. I can, so although we teach these subjects discreetly, and of course we have to do that because we have to, you know, embed this knowledge and, and all of that. But what we can do is be creative in, in how we do it. So a couple of years ago, we, we saw a dance company, and, um, we were involved in a dance company and we took some year three children and they went to see this dance company and it was all about the suffragette movement. Amy might remember this. Um, and so the issue of suffragettes and, and, and that movement and votes for women and you know it was a very very complicated topic 
um, to get across to year three. They hadn't got that level of understanding when they saw that performance. What we then had to do with it was do lots of sort of workshops and, and things with them. And we taught them the concept behind it. And then they did their own performance based on it. So when Tom was talking about delivery, you know, empathy and putting themselves in that position, my gosh, did, could those children show what they learned through a dance? They really could. So we put this whole performance together where they were, you know, there, there were no words, they were doing it through music. And then at the end, what we do, um, each child came back on, they came back on with a placard with the name of a, of a woman that had had a significant impact in history over the last 100 years. And they each stood there and Again, you know, it was it was so powerful. It was very moving. We had parents there, but we 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 managed to get a lot taught there. But we didn't do it just by sitting in the middle of a like history lesson. Do you know what I mean? We we were thinking about how we could link all these things together. That's just one example. Um, but I think yeah, it's about making those links, and it's about um, thinking outside the box a, a little bit, and how can we get these core skills and core knowledge. But at the same time, could there be a bit of performance? And like you said, it doesn't have to be the, the end of year performance. It doesn't have to be the nativity. It can just be in a whatever lesson, but standing in front of the, the class and, and delivering something in a different way, pretending they're a news reader, get a bit of drama. In, you know, it's a, it, you can still develop those skills, but you're, you're not losing something else to do it. You're, you're enhancing it by using performance as a, as a means to do it. Um, there's a teacher at our school at the moment, he's doing um, uh, his masters and, and he's, one of his research things is, is to look, he's, he's taking some children out and he's trying to teach them uh, the keyboard. So he has a set time, he's doing it in his own dinner time. But what he's trying to see is whether that those children concentrating and learning that particular skill through music is that going to have an impact on how they then behave when they go back into class and in, in other areas is it going to increase their concentration is it going to so that's what he's looking at at the moment you know so because he's read a lot of research to say that yes you know learning an instrument learning a dance skill you know learning that then has an impact on in other areas so that's an interesting part as well, isn't it? That's another concept to sort of think about how it, how developing in one particular area, the knock on them that that can have in, in another one. Yeah, I think I, I definitely agree. I think it, I, I think it has an opportunity. There's an opportunity um, to use performance as a way of assessing, um, assessing how much knowledge has been taken on board. Um, I think actually, um, maybe, um, maybe I'm. Touching on the next question now, but I think it's important that you do set um, that you can use it to assess outcomes if you if you're clear on your expectations of what you want to see. That's really important. But I also think that um, the role that it has to play, or, or two roles that it has to play, um, going off what Amy said earlier, we're definitely thinking about cultural capital here and the opportunity for children to experience um performance so having people whether that's having people into school whether that's performing to one another whether that's um going to see something at a theater or seeing a concert those opportunities really can't be underestimated i i, I did music theater as my degree at uni and and i think the two things that were most that i had most in common with all of my peers in those classes were that we had rich opportunities to um to see um, 
performance theatre, um, to see music, to see dance at a young age, that inspired us and stayed with us. And I think that we can all have moments like that. If you think about Glastonbury this weekend, there are people who are going to remember that for the rest of their lives. And so I think they, these experiences not only are, um, they're not academic experiences, they're, they're quite often emotional experiences that we connect and we build a memory to. Um, that can impact our future. And I think the other thing that I had in common with my peers at, at university was that somebody at some point along the way in education spotted that I had a talent and helped me to nurture that talent. And I think that that is an essential role for primary school teachers. We're constantly doing it in classes. We're constantly spotting people who need to be challenged. We're constantly spotting people who um, we can push to really develop a skill. Um, maybe we don't give as much opportunity to do that in musical instruments or in those children who can just make people laugh and maybe that's something that we need to develop or or can sing beautifully whatever it is I think that it's a real what a privilege to be able to spot talent and push people in the right direction to nurture those talents um, and I think that that is a that's a, a vital role that we have to play. Definitely Tom definitely and I think going back to the cultural literacy thing we our, our children and young people don't know what they don't know how can they know that they adore the opera if they've never heard and seen it how can they know that when they watch ballet that's something that they want to be part of if they've never seen it but also when we think about you know come, come back to our core purpose of furthering education if you like and think about what we want our young people to end up being able to do which is to have a seat at any table to be able to engage knowledgeably in any conversation with peers from any walk of life you could argue and I would argue quite strongly that they are going to need that breadth and that cultural literacy to understand the references that are being made in the conversations that they're having equally as much as they're going to need the historical and the geographical and the scientific knowledge they, go, they need that from, from the arts and from performance, I would argue. And that's not to say that every child is going to be a performer. They're not. But I still think there's that breadth of knowledge and that entitlement that, that we've got to provide. The other thing I would say about being deliberate about it across the curriculum is, and, and we'll perhaps unpick this a little bit more of, of where maybe we've seen this not go particularly well, but we can be really clear and intentional about where the best opportunities are to weave performance in. And there might be some clear endpoints in all of the subjects where performance might be really appropriate for an assessment opportunity. Might also just be really good fun. Get the parents in after school, do it in an assembly. Like, it's all right. <laughs> you know, can it, and, and what we've got to remember, particularly at primary, you know, these are primary age children. And we, we want to be, it's not about glitz over, uh, you know, solid concrete progress and knowledge and everything else and it's not all the glitters is not gold however some glittery things just really are brilliant and it's great for kids to just be involved in that isn't it and I just think you know we've got to sometimes just loosen up a little bit around this sort of stuff I think building on the example Lisa gave and I've had the privilege of working with Lisa and I saw that performance and it remains now so I, I think I was trying to think about this the other day I think I've now worked with about 40 academies and that performance, plus one other that Lisa led in that school, I can still feel the goosebumps from those performances. They were honestly stunning. But what we know is, and the research tells us, is that the brain privileges story. So if we're setting knowledge building in story, children will remember that. 
and they're probably going to understand it much more deeply if they've been part of that story. So I would definitely echo, echo the argument for that. And the last thing I would say is the, the, the wider impact that it can have. So Tom mentioned about somebody spotting his gifts and talents, and that's really important. And I think that helps our children's sense of belonging, not just as, as who they are or within the school or within a choir, they're part of a group, aren't they? They're part of a community. Or if they're in a debating club, they're part of a community. But actually, and primaries are great at this, is signposting children and families to groups outside of school then. Go and join this orchestra that is, you know, 10 minutes down the road at a different community organisation. And our children have got another sense of belonging then and they're part of another group. So I think when we think about that cultural literacy, actually, we're thinking about it way beyond our walls. I think we have a, we have a, a moral duty to, to expose our children to it and to be really, really deliberate about doing it really effectively because we have children in all of our buildings that will never discover things about themselves if we don't create the opportunities for them to do that. Yeah, I was just about to echo that, Amy, because I was lucky enough to have parents that took me to a dancing school um, and that's a, a hobby that's never left me. Uh, ever so but some of our children don't have that um they that you said that there might be a dancing school down the road there might be somebody offering piano lessons there might be but they aren't able to access them so we have to introduce them to it don't we 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 have to be the, the people that um that do that for them and like you say you know we they they, they deserve that the opportunity to 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 belong to, to, to that group. So if, they have, if they're not gonna get it out of school, then we need to make sure they've got that belonging in school, like I say, through doing a choir or a dance club or those extra things, which yes, are time, but if you're looking up to have somebody in your school that can lead on that, and um, that is prepared to give up time in lunch times or play times or after school, then that's also a fantastic way of getting it in as well, isn't it? For those children that really, really want it. Because after the sort of the pandemic and, you know, we'd got we, before the pandemic, we'd got a really good choir and the, those children really did feel that sense of belonging. No, no one left. No child ever left the choir because they, they loved it that much. And then it had to stop because it was a key stage two one. So we couldn't mix bubbles. So when I introduced it um, there. So when I first set up the choir at about 30 children audition, when I reintroduced it about six months ago, uh, nearly 100 children came to audition um, because they knew it was something that they wanted to belong to and get back to. So they did that audition and we're trying, you know, we're building that back up again. I just thought, doesn't that just show the impact? But what also showed the impact was what they auditioned with. They were auditioning with songs that they'd learned in their music lessons. So before, when they first set it up, they sing a song they didn't really know what to do I had to give them a song or a nursery rhyme or something they were coming in with um the year fours were all singing lean on me because that was the song that they'd been doing in the music curriculum the year threes were all coming in and auditioning Bob Marley because they'd done a unit on reggae and you know so that just shows the sort of the impact of it and then we had one and then a tiny example is a couple of weeks ago one child went to A&E in the morning and he said and they um they said, oh, that it was something, it was just a little mind thing on his foot, but they said to his mom, go home and rest. 
Um, and then he'll have the weekend, you know, to rest and back at school on Monday. And his response was, absolutely not. You need to go back to school. I am not missing choir. So, you know, just that's just on an individual level, isn't it? The impact that that performance and these performing arts and, and all of that just has on that child. That was where that child was going to get his joy from that day, was going to choir. So he made sure that he went and that's what we've got to think about, you know, those children, where are they going to get their joy from? And for some children, that, that, that is where they're going to get it. So we need to make sure that, that we do give them those opportunities. I was listening to Peps McRae with my wife in the car on the way to work this week. And he was talking about if we want to motivate children, give them a sense of belonging. And I was thinking at the time, well, how do I, how do I really do that? And, you know, that's a perfect example, you know, to go with what is a pretty comprehensive explanation of the role that performance has to play, you know, because I'm, I'm listening and thinking, okay, which bits do I need to be convinced on? And then Amy's throwing in, you know, we, we prioritize stories and well, okay, well, you're hitting me with my own stick. So I, there's no, <laughs> there's no return here. Um, and then, you know, cultural literacy and, you know, the example you gave Amy about the opera, well, all of those stories are either culturally significant in terms of a historical aspect, you know, like um, Mary Queen of Scots is one of the most recent ones I saw. The, you know, like the, the Greek stories and the, the myths and legends like Orpheus and how prominent they feature. You know, I think you've made a very comprehensive case for the role of performing arts. So I think then we should turn our attention to the practicalities. I'm going to throw this open. How can we get the most from it in our curriculum? So I think that one of the most, and um, I'll, I'll kind of fess up, as even, even as a music theatre graduate, the idea of performance in the classroom quite often makes me cringe. I, I really have sat through too many children pretending to be things that it either descends into people laughing at one another or it descends into jokes about poo or it's all that sort of stuff you always get this sort of silliness kind of associated with performing arts and maybe there is maybe there is an argument that the more they see serious and and um, professional performance the more they'll get an idea of what what to expect but I think because I've sat through so many of those sessions where you have a two minute role play that feels like it's gone on for 20 um, and it does make my toes curl. Um, I think three things that I try to do when I'm trying to get the most out of performance in the classroom is set the scene for the children. So if, especially I'm thinking particularly in the curriculum here, so for, I'll try and um, thread these through with an example. So we're a Catholic school um, and we, uh, so we have quite a lot of um, RE curriculum to get through. And um, when we, and actually, in that particular um, scenario, looking at these stories from the Bible, drama is a really powerful tool, but it's not a powerful tool if the children don't really understand the setting of the scene that they're, that they're um, performing in. So just as we would want a context, um, want to provide children with a context in our history lessons or our geography lessons, it's important to do that as well, I think, when you're, when you're expecting children to perform in class. And then I think it's about setting the expectations so really being clear about how long you're going to give children to prepare, how long you want what they prepare to last, 
what you want them to achieve through this. So it might be that it is, um, I want you to tell me what you know about this particular story, um, or I want you to tell me how that person might have felt within this particular scenario. But being as explicit with those instructions as you can so that children know the boundaries they're working within. Um, and then also being, being able to then pass that over and give it to them to show you. So not, it can be tempting to direct. It can be tempting to imagine it as a little mini project. And actually in those, in those moments when performance is used as a learning opportunity, it's important that you take that step back. And that's when you can assess as a teacher. Why, um, I can think of an example this, this year. So we, we look at um, the, the nativity story every year. And um, with my year threes, we have two particular examples we, where we use performance. And the first one is um, we think about a, um, a news programme. They present a news programme based on this amazing, miraculous birth that's happened. I think it's important to say at this point, that's different to what, um, so you could argue that if we ask them to do a newspaper article in English about the miraculous birth of Jesus, well, they didn't have newspapers back then. So that's, a, that's just a silly, a silly activity to choose. But it's important to talk about the disciplinary knowledge of drama, which is that we are creating and we're in a fictional world. So that's, a, that's quite a nice way to discuss how it's different to our English lessons or our history lessons. Um, so we look at um, a newsreader um, kind of hitting the headlines of that miraculous birth. And then the second thing we do is we think about what it would be like to be the innkeeper. And they work on their own on a little, um, a little monologue for, for this innkeeper. And that has often proven to me um, a, the most powerful assessment tool for me to be able to say this child worked on their own. And yes, the performances can vary in quality but actually the content of them, they get to write down their ideas and practice it in their own, in their own time. Um, that's an assessment tool for me to be able to say, actually at the end of this unit, they really understand this story. They've got the, and they've also understood something of that, um, that empathetic lens as well. I think that curriculum mindset is really, really important. And I think everything that we know about excellent teaching applies to performance when we're using it in classrooms, in lessons and across the curriculum. So we know the importance of the prerequisite knowledge that's needed to access or to, to engage or to succeed. We know the importance of vocabulary. We know the importance of explicitly teaching whatever it is, modeling, having clear expectations. We know the importance of feedback, specific feedback, so, you know, I echo everything that, that Tom said there, but and I think actually sometimes we can think too hard about, we know what makes good teaching and learning. Um, and I think it's exactly the same things that apply. I also think we've got to be really mindful of not only crafting the children's readiness, but crafting the readiness of the teachers and, and colleagues in the classrooms and dance studios and halls and whatever with our, with our children and young people. Confidence is often quite low, isn't it, when we're teaching these subjects or when we're leading things around performance. So we also know the importance of CPD. Won't surprise you that that's, you know, I'm kind of banging the drum for that constantly around, around CPD because that we, we need to feel successful and confident in order for that to be effectively delivered for our children. But I also think that's really, really, really hard for some schools. Not all schools are lucky enough to have a Tom or a Lisa in their school and and 
you know I'm biased with this, but where working in a trust is amazing is where you have got Lisa's and Tom's, but they're not in every school. You've got that collective capacity to develop the expertise of others and to look at those really great examples. And I would really encourage schools that are struggling with this and haven't got the expertise to be out with facing, go and, and reach out schools that have because I also think you will find that the general ethos of schools who do this brilliantly is one of supporting others it's one of collaboration it's one of wanting all children and colleagues to be successful um, so I also think that's really important I think also we can link this to we're thinking about performance here in terms of performing arts but if we link it to um, Sonia Thompson's work build it you know on, on ethic of excellence Sonia talks a lot about the Ron Berger work around making work public that's not just a you know a, a performance or a show or a song or a dance or a drama that's any work that could be made public that might be explaining their painting in an art gallery you know it might be describing a sculpture a, a piece of, of you know an, an, a work piece of work in D&T whatever it might be and all of that contributes to children's pride in their work and that culture and ethic of excellence that Sonia speaks and writes so brilliantly about so I also think we can think more broadly about it. And, and actually it's about showcasing whether that's through the arts or whether that's through other subjects that we then make that work public. I think if Sonia was here, what she'd say is you can't do that in every subject for every unit of work, for everything that you do, you physically cannot. So then I'm coming back to actually look at the sequencing of the curriculum, look at the deliberate mapping and where are those opportunities? Kieran, can I just add a little, a bit of nuance to what I was talking about with empathy, if that's okay? Because I think I've maybe of course, um, yeah, over, yeah. overstated my point somewhat. I think that there'll probably be colleagues who will have come to the, um, who will come to this podcast with scepticism about the role of performance in curriculum and have this view that it is a sort of um, airy-fairy, jazz-hand sort of um, addition that we don't necessarily need. Um, I obviously disagree with that. But um, when I was talking about empathy, I read this um, article that came out of um, some work done in Massachusetts in the States, and it was called um, Actors Are Skilled in Theory of Mind, Not Empathy. And it was some re really interesting work that they did with some students over there who had taken drama. And they actually, so the, um, they went into this work anticipating that they find that actors um, developed that their key kind of core principle, the currency they were using to develop their work to a high standard was empathy. And what they actually discovered was this idea of theory in mind that two people can hold two completely different but equally valid interpretations of what they see in front of them, that that's actually more what's at work. So I think we can do, we can use um, drama and performance to um to draw out empathy with our children and I think that's a really valuable tool but it's not just that opportunity it's also an opportunity and I think there's a slight nuance here to um to not just think about the emotions necessarily but to actually think about people's viewpoints and starting points and how they vary within the class or how they vary within the school um, I hope that's a little bit I think that's helpful and not just a bit waffly but um it kind of I think it's important to state that it's not just empathy that we're doing here. We're actually um, celebrating the fact that we can have these different points of view. We can have these different um, lives that we lead and, and we've got something to offer, um, which is a really powerful tool, a powerful lesson for, for performance.
yeah no it, it wasn't waffly at all thomas that was a yeah, really excellent clarification you know not that there was anything to clarify i don't think because what you made said before made total sense some children arrive and they've already um, got their home language they've gone through another country and learned that language and then they've arrived in england and are trying to learn english some children um, can speak english but only speak it at school and then the moment that they leave they go home and then they don't speak english again until 10 to 9 the next morning um, so it's a it's you know it is a real sort of range so vocabulary is 100 percent at the heart of everything that way that we do um, and it's usually the starting point for everything that we do um, in that vocabulary is taught explicitly at the start of every lesson and it's very carefully mapped out and it is very progressive as well um, and so yes that does feed into um, all areas of the curriculum but also if we think in particular about sort of the English curriculum as well um, vocabulary as we said is, is at the heart and there's lots of techniques in which in the way that we do it lots of strategies you know colourful semantics word aware all these kind of things that we do but where performance can come in is the sort of the way in which children can express themselves um, so we have got children that perhaps can't maybe speaking full sentences etc but then you've got them that they will they will try to sing along to a song lyric because you know that they, they've heard it somewhere so it, it's like a little hook for them so they will do that um it's that kind of again going back to that sense of belonging and it's it's having something in common um but that structure of those lessons um, going back to Tom, what you were saying about getting the performance in the curriculum, um, it's about sort of modelling, isn't it, and what that looks like and having very clear expectations. And in the way that you would do an English lesson, you'd have maybe, you know, this is what a good one looks like. You would do the same for your sort of drama performances and your music performance. You have what a good one looks like and you set out your very clear expectations. And we have got children that within very short space of time as you know Amy all of a sudden their English skills do come on come on massively but it's that opportunity for for speaking you know speaking being involved and unbelievable the progress is unbelievable you know unbelievable sometimes when the children are practicing speaking and practicing English in performance I think it feels safer rather yeah. than practicing it in a classroom where the teacher is asking a question and expecting children to talk to their partner and answer I think it, it is a much safer forum for them to practice just that use of language and the repetition isn't it I suppose it's, yeah, it's the repetition of something because how do we learn we learn by repeating um so I think it is that as well it's the repetition and that that comfort of being in a classroom with those other children um so yeah it's part of that as well quite practical win as well I was thinking I was having a conversation with my wife just before we hopped on tonight and I was asking her what she thought about performance so she's a she's a college lecturer in, in music theatre and performing arts so um and she said something that I thought was really valuable and I think it's a real quick practical tip for for maybe schools that are um lacking in the expertise lacking in the resources to be able to do this sort of work particularly in terms of music performance is to focus on rhythm 
because rhythm is um, a universal language across all instruments. Um, it doesn't change what you have to play and where you have to do it, it it's, it's the same. Um, it's also completely cheap because you can do it with your hands. Um, you don't necessarily have to have drums to do it. Um, and it's also one of those things that's really valuable to learn because it has that cross, um, that sort of crossover amongst whatever discipline you choose to go down. If it's dance, that's going to help with your dance if you've got a good sense of rhythm. Same with music performance, instrumental um, performance as well. Um, so just maybe a quick win and a, and a point of direction for some colleagues if they haven't got that lack of that if they've got a lack of experience or resources in their schools. Also, don't we? One of those really effective tools is when you say to a child, um, "We're learning this together." You know, so if you're feeling a lack of confidence yourself, and you you talked about this earlier, didn't you? In the fact that actually, as a teacher, you are performing all the time. You are on that stage in front of those children a lot of the time. You are performing. So when you say to them, "Do you know what? I don't know that much about this, but we're all going to learn about it together," they love that as well, don't they? They feel like they're they're on that journey with you. So if you are lacking in a bit of confidence, whether it's in a music lesson or an, in a dance, it's okay to say, "Do you know what?" it's all right, we might not be that good at it at the moment, but we're all in it together and we're gonna get better at it. And then when we've come to the end of whatever it is, the end of this unit or this dance performance or this drama performance or this music, then we'll sit back and, and then we can do some, you know, we'll, we'll think about it, we can reflect on it then, can't we? And what have we learned? What's our journey been? Have we grown in confidence? What skills have we now got that we didn't get before? And that's where you get your, you know, that reflection, don't you, at the end, but to make, them feel that you're part of it together that's a really powerful tool as a teacher I think so we you know going back to language when you have to teach a modern foreign language at key stage two which we have to do in addition when you've got children that already speak three or four and some children that don't speak English at all and then you've got to try and teach them say French all together that feeling of okay we're all learning we're all in the same boat here we're all going to learn this word today we don't none of us really know what it means we're all doing it you can apply that can't you to perform if you're not particularly confident as a teacher to do that because I think children really respond to that that they, they love being part of that journey with you the only question I have left is where performance doesn't have a place in the curriculum is there anywhere you think no that that should be slightly separate from what we're talking about tonight. A few examples, maybe. Um, when I first thought about that question, the first thing that jumped to mind was those horror stories that we've sometimes seen where teachers have, whether through lapse of judgment, um, made really bad decisions about um, getting children to perform in certain roles, maybe through history um, or examples that might be deemed really offensive. Um, and actually where children can't relate to what they're being asked to perform. So that's an absolute no-go. You've got to be really mindful about that. Um, I think the second thing is people who don't want to do this shouldn't be forced to do it. And that goes with staff and um, children. I think there's a responsibility for staff to be able to feel open to support in training themselves up in that sort of thing. And like, like we said, Kieran, it, it, rhythm being a gateway for that, that's something that's accessible for all and maybe could be something that helps you to develop your skill set in that area. But um, it's important, I think, to recognise that for some people, um, performance in a public arena 
is um, the last thing they want to be doing, and that can be for our students as well. Being mindful, thinking with one of my other hats on about the mental health of the people in our schools, it's essential that we don't add um, unnecessary anxiety to their days. So um, I think that's about creating safe spaces for you to perform in, acknowledging and communicating that this is an area that you're not going to be laughed at in. It's a space where you can... Um, where part of the fun of performance is that play element, the element to have a go and see, um, but also being mindful of those, maybe those little ones who will find this difficult um, and thinking about what, what they could do to contribute and wh where's appropriate. And I think that you can use a common sense approach to that as well, to be honest. And then the final thing that jumped to mind was um, actually about teacher in role. So that idea of a teacher taking on a role um, perhaps, um, you know, you, you see um, a year two, two teacher coming in dressed as a witch or, or those sort of things. Um, I think that um, some of those learning opportunities are valuable and children often love teacher enrolled. I think the thing to be wary about is not using it when explicit instruction is necessary. So if you've got, um, so I don't see my early years colleagues pretending that they don't know anything until that child that they're working with will be able to get to a solution with the teacher. Um, so just being really smart about when is appropriate to actually be teaching and when you can, and I think actually that's been a theme perhaps through quite a lot of the responses tonight is actually that it is, it, is a it is a form of assessment performance and it can be used in that way but it can't be used to assess what they don't know. So just making sure that teachers enrolled um, only happens when they've had that explicit instruction they need. I agree with all that, definitely. And, and I think it brings, it always makes me think of that, that phrase, task completion is a poor proxy for learning. Children being able to perform a story doesn't necessarily mean that they understand the, the context the knowledge the causation whatever it might be it doesn't immediately indicate that but it can when it's done brilliantly i also think we, we've building on what you said there tom is is about absolute clarity on the purpose so is this performance a way in which we are going to assess children's understanding of a historical whatever it might be or are we assessing children's performance in which case we're looking at something very different and therefore the build-up to that performance would look presumably very very different indeed because there are two very separate sequences of learning there one is an assessment opportunity one is, de is developing children's knowledge skills and understanding as a performer so I think we mustn't muddy the waters there now obviously if we've taught a sequence of learning in history brilliantly and in drama or whatever, we've taught an exceptional sequence of learning there too. I am sure there are opportunities where, and this comes back to looking at that overview of the whole curriculum, there will absolutely be opportunities where those two things can come together and we can demonstrate that historical knowledge through a very, very high level performance. Fantastic. But I would imagine those opportunities are gonna be very, very few and far between across a child's entire primary journey. So I think it's, it's, it's not, that's not to say it's one or the other. I don't mean that, but I think let's be very clear on the purpose and really explicit. And colleagues need to be clear on that, but so do children. 
children need to be really clear on that and around using the right vocabulary or or the, the right techniques or whatever it might be and I also think just going back to the the staff confidence and staff knowledge we if we're going to do this and we're going to ask colleagues to do this we need to empower them with the training or the support or the guidance or the modeling from a, a more experienced or confident or expert colleague and that might not necessarily be somebody in the building there are so many resources out there that we can tap into be it schemes of work be it examples of um, performances in different disciplines whatever it might be we don't have to source that from within our own walls particularly now and I think we can um because sometimes forget that because we're so busy in trying to just plan deliver and and you know get things together and we've got six weeks to get this ready or whatever it might be um so I think if there are also senior leaders who might have that overarching responsibility for performance or the arts across the curriculum I think you know there's a there's a real place there for distilling some of that for signposting for making things really accessible um so I think yeah just being really clear and have have high but realistic expectations of what children and colleagues can can achieve yeah I would only echo that I think it, it's right it's it's about like you say not muddy in the waters being really clear creating that culture across your school if you like which isn't going to happen overnight is it it's something that's got to be sort of it's got to be built up it's not about people feeling uncomfortable it's not about children being uncomfortable because ultimately you want every child to take part but you can't go from never having having no expectations or no experience of performing to suddenly expecting everybody to start singing and dancing that they're not going to do that are they so it's you know we've, we've referenced before this kind of low threat thing you know that, that level um, but being clear that this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate goal um, and setting those like you would in any other lesson, you'd set that progression, wouldn't you? You'd have what you think is, is going to be your end point. And it's not about saying that you're going to do it all the time. It, it's got its time and it's got its place, hasn't it? It's not you can't you can't make every lesson a performance. It doesn't need to be. So it's about pinpointing when it's going to be effective and for what reason is it effective because it's going to show learning and knowledge or is it effective because it's an opportunity to show skills that they have learned like Amy was saying you need to be very clear about the, the diff because there is a there is a difference there isn't there so that's what you need you need to and not sort of suddenly go right okay I'm going to expect them all to sing a song about this and you could because you wouldn't in another lesson expect them to go you know in a maths lesson suddenly go okay today we're going to do and then just chuck something in would you you know everything is planned for and it's the same with performance isn't it really it's those planned for opportunities where it's going to be effective so if it's not going to be effective then there's no real point so what is what is the point is it to assess knowledge or something or is it to assess that skill in its own right what you guys have provided is almost and i'm thinking about the the title of this episode it's almost the traditionalist approach to performance in the curriculum because you know tom was very rightly saying that he think okay he knows the audience there could be some skepticism but actually everything you guys have said is hitting all the key markers of what I, you know, what I would see as effective teaching and learning and a sensible approach 
to the utilization of a tool in the curriculum, you know? And so genuinely, as someone who, like I said at the start, not interested in being that person who teaches it, but understands the value, you've actually convinced me that were I in the position where it was required of me, I should be seeking out professional development so that I change that aspect of my practice. You know, so, and I think there's a very, very high chance that that will happen to a lot of people who listen to this episode. I think you guys did a fantastic job um, of outlining the case for performance, how to get the most from it and what to avoid, you know, and, and I think it all connects really, really well, you know, so, you know, thank you very much, guys. I just say I, this probably won't make the cut. But I, I didn't ask my brother where I, whether I could use this story, my brother whether I could use this story or not. But when we were in primary school, um, I got the role of Joseph in the nativity, and I um, when I was in year two, and uh, Joe isn't as performance um, influenced as I was. And when um, they were in year two themselves, um, <laughs> I mean it's so bad. The teacher put. Um, they just refused to smile um, and um, the teacher printed off a laminated smile on a stick that Joe stood in the nativity <laughs> and held this laminated so my advice would just be don't you dare print off laminated smiles on sticks and give them to children because that's never gonna work. It's <laughs> gonna be the outtake at the beginning. Yeah you, you need to get permission from Joe to, for that inclusion. <laughs> been fascinating i think all this left to do well, i've got one more question amy have you submitted your talk for the research ed national conference i haven't but it's the it's the 29th of uh june so i think i still got a tiny little bit of time but no i haven't am i going to for national no i don't think so am i looking at some a little bit more locally to start dipping my toe in maybe I'll ask you every time you come on until it happens. <laughs> All I said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Pleasure as always. And everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>